0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning back into the podcast. My name is Jason, with Brian here as always. Today we've got a pretty interesting conversation lined up here. With everything that's going on, we wanted to talk about the difference between conformity and unity. And a lot of times these terms are sometimes used interchangeably, but there is a really big and a very real difference between the two. And I think it's very important that we're aware of the difference and when we are acting in one versus another. So we wanted to get right into that today. This is not a new topic. This
1: has been going on since the fall of man. This war between these two ideas have been going on and on and on, because the truth is you can't do something alone. We need each other. And so how does that work? How does that blend together? So hopefully within this podcast, we'll be able to touch on some topics and maybe spark some new ideas, maybe spark the inner convictions that are really strong on the inside of you and giving you permission to walk in those convictions, but having an awareness of the environments that you're in of how to maybe navigate through those things. So uh, that's where we want to go in this podcast.
0: And again, the point is not that you should avoid Addressing these questions of, okay, what do I do in this situation? You are going to have to go through that question for a lot of things, especially the way the world is right now. But what we want to do here is get to the why behind it, because if you have a thought process that you can use in the time, then when these things do come up, you'll be able to go through it logically, clear headed, and come to a decision on the what, having the why already established. So, again, we're not going to say, hey, this is the thing that's going on in society right now, and here's how you should react to it, and this is what you should do, and this is what you shouldn't do. But you will be able to do that for yourself, having these principles. And so one thing we wanted to start with, Brian has a uh, story he's going to relate this to, something that we're all probably a little bit familiar from, and it might bring you back to your childhood days. I'm sure you're familiar with The Ugly Duckling.
1: This story is, like, so perfect. Um, So you have, just for you... For all of you who didn't get the privilege of hearing this story when you were a kid, um, and I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but the bottom line is there is these little, this egg gets stuck in another batch of eggs, which happen to be ducks, and the the ducklings are all hatched and they start growing and they all kind of look the same at first and they're they're being with their mother and they're they're doing whatever little ducks do with their mom and they're growing and they're they're little yellow things or whatever color they are is really irrelevant, but they all kind of look the same when they're little. But then all of a sudden they start growing and they start becoming ducks. And then we have this duck that doesn't fit. It just out of place. Now is not looking like another duck? Is uh, the, the, this this outsider loves all the ducks? That's what they grew up with. But all of a sudden the ducks start looking at this one differently as out of place. And of course we know it finally gets away, it's it's pushed out of the group, and it's feeling awful with all the rejection and the abandonment and all these things. This is Brian's version of the story. And so all of this, so finally goes out and looks in the pond and sees another swan and realizes it's a swan, it's not a duck. And so we see this, how the group conformity pushed out the the in the the one that was different. But I don't really like that story in the concept because we can always use it, well I'm just different and I don't fit in the group and sometimes we we can create a different context. So I redid the story to fit more of our culture, more of our time, more of people's humanity. Maybe we look at the story that all of the ducklings are actually swans, but they be- all believe they're ducks, but one. One knows it is not a duck, it's a swan. But all of the swans being raised by a duck believe they're all ducks, and the mother, swan- the mother duck will not tell them that they're actually swans. So they believe they're all ducks. They believe that they are all this except for one saying, something's wrong, I'm not a duck, I'm a swan. And so are you, you're all swans. Why do you keep living like ducks when you're a swan? And they push them out. This is really the idea. And if even if you look back, go back into biblical history, why in the world would you go worship a cow? This used to bug me for a long time. Why in the world would you turn your back on God who you came from, who you've been created in that image, to a cow. Why? How, would, how do you get there? How do you worship the cow as a supreme being? You can never be like the cow because you're not a cow. You can't be transformed into its image. But what we can do is be conformed to the ideology of that cow. Because the people came to a point where when it came to the cow or the worship of grain or the worship of certain uh, idols, It represented the power over that region. And so the people began conforming to the ideology of this idol. And so they stopped believing what they really were. And so they lowered themselves to worship the creature versus the creator. And when I talk about worship, I'm not just talking having a praise song that you're praising one thing or praising another. I'm talking about where you get your worth from. That's called worship. Where do you get your worth from? And so when we worship God, we get our worth and value and identity in those pieces from him. so we worship Him. When we worship the cow, we get our worth and our value from uh the cow often represented the 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 fertile the fertility and the provision of the food on the earth, and so they worship the cow to make sure they could have more food and and the power of that, and the markets were created around that, so you would have to conform to the cow, in order for the people to accept your purchasing, your buying, and all of that. And it became easier to do that because it took care of temporal, natural needs for a while, but forsaking the one of what you really are. And so, when I look at the the story of the the duck and the swan, if you were to just change the story and make the mom a duck, and the gooselings trying to be convinced they were ducks that is really more of the culture that we're in that is the concept of one is getting the group to conform to something that they're not they not they aren't really uh, part of that is not part of their design they're trying to conform that versus revealing what they are and this is a It's common throughout all the scripture. So the number one reason why God struggled so much to get the Israelites to believe and be delivered. They wanted to still be
0: ducks, even though they were swans. That even shows how most people react to someone who isn't fitting in to the conformity that they want to fit in. So the one swan that says, I'm not a duck and neither are you guys, that one gets cast out. I think we see that, everywhere in our world as well. So it doesn't really matter what the truth is. What matters is what the group wants that individual to think and act and look like and to be, and to be conformed into. And there's a real danger in that. We all we all inherently know that. But how often do we take it beyond, yes, I know this truth, and then ask ourselves, okay, in what specific areas around me do I see this being played out? And is there something that I need to change my perspective on so really, my point is, we, we go to other things when God is meant to be our source, and I'm just talking in general here. We'll go to other things to be a source of something because we see something in the natural where that has been proven to provide what we need or what we think we need, and we shift our attention towards that instead of towards God.
1: You can see this pattern throughout different times, even of the children of Israel wanting to go to Egypt or you do see this in the time of Samson, when he was getting ready to deliver the people from the Philistines, what you don't realize is the Philistines actually never conquered the Israelites. The Israelites wanted the the provisions and the luxuries of the Philistine life. And so a lot of times the idolatry didn't come in in a conquering power, it came in in an alluring power. So imagine you're you're a group of people that are chosen by God in the Israelites, that picture, and you're special, you're set apart for God, you're you're his children, and now he's giving you a land where you have to be independently responsible, but uniting together for the common cause. So I want you to really catch that idea, and this is where unity really sits differently. God never took the people and said, you will all be exactly like this one idea. He said, you're all individuals. You're all, but you individually have to be responsible. You guys fight for each other, you guys rise for each other. You guys support each other. It's part of the reason why there was multiple tribes. He didn't make everybody one tribe. He made multiple tribes. he the diversity of the tribes was was critical to the individualities of each of the people. And so when I say being an individual, it doesn't mean being rogue because we need people. But I want you to get this picture. You're used to depending on God, or let's say you start that journey of depending on God, you become something. But the world around you, all the tribes around you think you're nuts. They think you're you're uh, unacceptable. And usually we could go back in different podcasts showing they're fearful of that type of person. Most of the time you're critiqued is because they're afraid of you being that versus someone who's kind of out on the outside and they're making a mess of your their life. Isn't it that love comes in and lifts them is what brings them out it says the goodness of god leads a man to change his mind it doesn't it's not it's not the condemning and shaming them it's the lifting of them and so uh, imagine being in a culture where you're you're dependent on god you're you're responsible you're growing your family and things appear to get hard but then you see on the other side of the mountain the midianites or the philistines they got plenty of food They got great clothes. They got all this stuff. Wouldn't it just be easier to go into that world and just be a part versus having to be responsible for my own actions? I can put all the responsibility onto them to make my life better. And all of a sudden, you start shifting the thought process until in time it becomes much easier to worship that, that, that idol or whatever it is. And get the 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 approval of all the people around you, and you're no longer fighting against that system. We see that really clear here, uh, living in Thailand. The number one problem they have, and this has come from directors of the Ministry of Justice. The number one thing we need to do is teach our people how to think. It's interesting because they've so shaped it some way. Now they can't. They struggle competing in the market world because they need innovation. They need new ideas, but innovation ideas um development growth comes when the individual can think and make decisions for themselves so they're in this weird transition of wanting more people to think wanting versus the group think and the group conformity they're trying to break that because they're recognizing they can't compete in the world around them and part of it has to do with their systems and cultures so it doesn't fit every place in the world But I think it's a very interesting time being here that they're actually looking, how do you train an individual to think, make decisions, stand on their own, innovate, create, and do all that. And it doesn't come by conformity. It comes by unity. So once they have those things, then they invite other people and they offer themselves of services to the people around them and then the other people around them become innovative. And all of a sudden they're uniting together to accomplish common goals. And so that is the idea of uniting. You don't do it alone. You still need everybody. So there becomes a common goal, but not a distinct mechanism of how we're going to get to the common common goal.
0: I actually think that mindset is basically the default for most people. I think we tend to look at America as very entrepreneurial, and we are more so that than probably the vast majority of other nations out there. But at the same time, We see even in our culture, this habit that people don't want to take the big risks. They would rather conform to something that they know is safer than to take a risk and have something um, either live or die by their own hand. I was listening to a podcast where he talks a lot about economics and entrepreneurship, and he was saying that even in, um, in marketing and advertising and influence, so many people will stick to the script. Instead of trying something new that they came up with as an idea, because they know if they fail, it's not their fault. It's because the script failed or because the the standard way that the industry does this failed. It's not because of them. But if they take a risk and try something different and go out of the conformity, then there's a much bigger price they pay if it doesn't work out. But at the same time, you don't get the reward if it does pay off. Because ultimately, if you just stick with the conformity side, what everyone else is doing, then your success or your failure is not on you. And I honestly think most people would prefer that as a default. But is that the best way to live? Is it, I guess, maybe we should ask the question is it better to conform or is it better to not conform?
1: Well, there are some that would make the argument that Christianity was about conformity. But you could see even when Christianity, Uh, during the time of the Crusades, when conformity was part of the process, look at the damage that's done. Any any culture that forces conformity or manipulates to conformity uh, through threat of your own life or threat of your family or threat of those things, when the people buy into it, they feel justified for a moment, but look at the devastation cost of that. We see that in Stalin's Russia. We see that in the Crusades. We see that in Pol Pot and the Killing Fields. We see that in Mao's China. We see that in um, Hitler with what he did. He had an idea to bring change that he believed, and he forced conformity to that idea. And so he didn't force it by all of a sudden pure military might. He usually forced it by using the malice and the discontent of the people to embrace a new idea, to go against what they were angry about. The problem is they just switched conformity. Conformity was still being used versus the original founding of the United States was based on individual rights. And even in England, which was the precursor, was based on the Magna Carta, which individual had rights, and it is the precursor of. We saw that in uh, Greece, where that people actually had a say in what was going on in in the government and and the world. It, they were they were not perfect systems because we don't live in a perfect world, but it began the precursor. And there was a um, this was a while back before this whole issue all broke out. So pre pandemic crisis, philosophy, thinking, uh, this, this Chinese woman, she was talking about the difference between um, how capitalism kind of started emerging a little bit in China, and there's a lot of wealth production being done there, and the difference between the Chinese dream and the American dream. And he, she said, the American dream is the individual rising. The Chinese dream is still more of the state rising. So we use our freedom for the state. We use the state for our freedom. And there's a fundamental difference in that. We don't have to, that's a whole long podcast just to even deal with that. But I just wanted to bring out, there's a difference between the two. And it's the, it's the reason why we have United States. So that way there's a smaller autonomy to be functioning versus one government making a blanket statement. Now, when you're feeling fearful about something, Um, we tend to love the conformity thing. Everybody has to do it, then I'm not afraid. And if you really get to the heart root of that, it's self-preservation. Versus true identity and liberty is self-sacrifice. This is why idol worship began to run rampant, is they wanted something else to give them freedom without the responsibility, because then they could put it onto the ideology versus them owning, I made this decision.
0: I think there's a lot more responsibility in unity, like you said, because even in a lot of the ways people are conforming today, I see so many different um, loopholes in it. So I will conform to this standard, and I expect everyone else to, but I can make an exception for it in my case, based on certain circumstances that I think are more important to me. But if someone else were to make that exception, They would be against our conformity and they need to be brought back into line. And I think there's a real, real danger in that because when you're in this society of conformity, then you really do give up responsibilities, not to mention rights. We've talked about rights before, and we're not going to go down that bunny trail, but you give up your responsibility. And if you give up your responsibility, you're losing a large piece of what makes you a person, what makes you a unique individual with your own identity versus someone who has a confident, firm identity making a decision in an aspect of being unified towards a common goal, where the action might look the same as someone who's conforming, but the person who's conforming is doing it out of fear, out of passivity. The one who's unified is going to be the same person they are after the thing's over, whereas the person who's conforming is going to have to look to that same organization to tell them what to do when the panic's over, because they don't know who they are, what's acceptable to do. Well, you could see that even in the, the basic story of
1: David and Goliath. So, D- Goliath comes before the Israelite people and says, you sons of Saul, and he, he, he begins shaming them into a conforming them all to being children of Saul, children of Saul, children of Saul. Forty days he came out and told them, you sons of Saul, you sons of Saul, you sons of Saul. David comes on the scene outside of all of the uh, information rhetoric that's been pushed onto them. So these people are broken because what happened was they begin identifying to Saul and Saul's being cowardly. So now you're being identified to a coward and that's how you're being looked at. So they took the news report of Goliath as that was the truth. Over time, I believe it was one of Hitler's politicians said, You repeat a lie long enough and boldly enough and loud enough, people will begin to believe it till it's true to them. And so this is what what Goliath was doing. And he just kept saying it. So David comes on the scene and no one wanted to go fight. No one raised their hand to go take on Goliath. He just said, just one of you come. Not one of the soldiers would get up and go fight Goliath. And there was heroes among them. There was some great feats some of these armies did. It wasn't like this was like a uh, a bunch of people that were farmers that were forced into an army they, this this was something they had been they had been fighting for a while they have had victories for a while under Saul Now they're in this situation. So David comes along and this it's a weird comment that he makes he said to Goliath how dare you defy the armies of the living God and he changed the vernacular of the identity these are not. This, this low class of people identified to Saul, this is a great army identified to God. And he broke it. But how did that whole interaction take place? We The story of David and Goliath has more to do with breaking this. So he stood as an individual based in the truth of what he was, took on Goliath, defeated him, and then what happened to the rest of the army? They rose and they went and conquered and defeated the Philistines on that battlefield. So his actions as an individual changed the course of the perceptions of the people because he broke the lie. Had Saul, had Goliath come down and said, where's your big God now? I thought you were armies of the living God. I think it could have provoked something completely different. Instead, he lowered them to a different identity. And that's what conformity does. It begins shaping and it begins twisting. And then he said, just, okay, individuals, you guys are so strong as individual. Just send me an individual. But there was no individual that would stand. There was no individual that would rise. Because they broke the power of the individual, he brought in conformity over those 40 days until David comes along.
0: Also look at how David was treated when he got to the battlefield by his brothers, by his family. So he comes and all he does is ask, all right, what's going on? What's the situation? And he is instantly ridiculed and demeaned for even that by his brothers, by his own family. I think there's a lot of application for us there because there are times where if you even approach the idea of doing something differently than someone who has fully conformed to a mindset of fear you'll be ridiculed and pushed out for that. I think Matt Richman said it best. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Passion makes apathy uncomfortable. The more apathetic people get, the more conformed they get to an idea that's ultimately based on fear, the more they will resist and aggressively resist at times anyone who tries to question it because now you're threatening their system. You're threatening their way of life. And that can be really hard to go through, especially when it's the people that are supposed to support you the most your friends, your family that are supposed to be there for you and have your back. But they're the ones that are coming at it from, well, you know, that's probably not a great idea for you to do that. You probably shouldn't say anything like that. But it's something that we have to go through. And we'll talk more
1: a little bit of how to function in a world that is around a bunch of conformists because you just being a, a big blowhorn and accusing them and saying how bad or how ridiculous they are. The reality, it doesn't change. You know what it takes is an individual to stand up to something. And then it starts breaking the cycle. You don't stand up to those who have conformed. You stand up to the thing that's forcing the conformity. And there's, there is a sacrifice there, but there's a unity that flows off of that. We see Jesus doing that. Jesus had to go. He could have sat and turned around and said, all you guys, you're not even worth saving. You're the problem. Well, the people were the problem. Pontius Pilate wasn't the problem. The people were the problem because of how they believed and how they thought, and they were so afraid of the system, the Jews, the the Pharisaical Jewish system that was established, that was based on their own self preservation, their own power base, their own control. And you see Jesus picking at this the whole time he's going, but he had to only find a small few people that he could raise up, and they were usually ones that were outcasts. They were usually ones that were pushed aside, that were marginalized. But he didn't fuel their malice. He didn't come to him and say, look what these evil people are doing to you. Let's go destroy them. No, he said, beware of the ideology of this. And back to that, the part that you're talking about with um, David and his brothers, you know, it was interesting. David asked, so what's the reward for winning? It was interesting. David had an opportunist view, but not a manipulative opportunist, like there's nothing like putting a good crisis to waste. We can control the world with this good crisis. That is still based on malice. It's still based on fear, and it's still using the fear of the people back on them. No, David went and said, "What's the reward for standing up?" And I think I think this is should be this is kind of an individual person that knows personal responsibility that's willing to take a risk. And his brothers thought he was just arrogant. You arrogant kid. Aren't you supposed to be about delivering the cheese? And he just ignored them and kept moving forward. Why?
0: Because he was unified with God. So how do we get to the principle behind this in in Romans 12, which I'm sure most people think of when you think the word conformity in a church or Christian setting? It says, do not be conformed to this world. And we've heard that a lot um, in certain circles lately, and I've seen it used in two ways. Um, one, just as a, a general admonition of remaining true to your identity as a believer, not based on what the world is telling you. But I've also seen people use this and say, all right, don't be conformed to the world. So whatever the world tells me, I need to do the opposite to show how much I'm not conforming to the world. And I think that's also the wrong thing. So how do we kind of find what Paul is actually talking about there and get to that principle.
1: Let's just look at another character. And we had talked about Esther in a previous podcast, which I recommend going back through because it talks about the sovereignty authority and and the law and who we are to all of that. But if you look at the case of Mordecai, this is a powerful, powerful story. We we kind of skip over the Mordecai side. Mordecai functioned in a Persian culture that was very dominant. If you If you study the Persians, they didn't just... Embrace a new people. They conformed to a new people. You are going to be Persian, and this is going to be the ways, and this is how you're going to do things. Well, Mordecai was in it, and he flowed within that until it came to the point that he had to bow to Haman. And it compromised his core identity of who he was, and he would not bow to him. And the nation erupts. And this was the difference between utilizing the societal situations, utilizing it, functioning in it, interacting. We live in this world, but we don't have to be of this world. But there comes a line of an inner conviction that you have pressed against me as an individual that I can't function that way because I don't bow to you, I bow to God. I honor you, I honor the king, but I'm not, I'm not doing what you're asking me to do. And it caused an upheaval. Think of Daniel. Daniel was serving the Babylonian empire. He was serving them. He was functioning with them. He was a wise man for me. I offered counsel to them, and his counsel helped to expand Babylonia. He did all of those things until it came to a point where one person evilly said, let's stop him from praying. It was full of malice and envy, and we're going to destroy him. So they created a a decree and had the king sign it that everybody had to bow to his, his idol, and he wouldn't bow. And it, it caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the, the, the fiery furnace. It caused Daniel to be forced into the lion's den. So there became a time where the conformity and the interaction with culture, there needs to be an individual conviction of who you are and your responsibility. And when you stand up, you have to be able to risk everything because of that. I don't think we're necessarily in that in today of whether, should I social distance? Should I wear a mask? Should I do these things? No, there's sometimes you work within society for for a bigger unified whole, but I get to do that as an individual choosing that. What if in 10 years, we still have to social distance? What if in 10 years, all these policies don't go away and you have to continue to do that? Now, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna do it out of conformity or is at some point saying, you are have impeded on the rights that this country established to begin with. There, there comes these little crossroads. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Which means an individual calling. So everyone has an individual fingerprint and, and footprint in this world. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. Now, put that into context. It doesn't mean walk around like you're a lowly, no good piece of garbage. It doesn't mean don't have a good decision that other people will disagree with because you need to be lowly. It means be you, but don't impose that onto someone else. You don't impose what you are onto someone else. You liberate them to the freedom that they're called to and they're designed to. That's the lowliness. My position's higher, your position's lower. Don't ever do that. You're always lifting. And so that's what lowliness means, with love. So you're not doing it out of selfish motivation. You're not doing it out of malice. You're not doing it out of your own insecurities, your own inferiorities, your own times of rejection. You're doing it out of confidence of what you are, loving sacrificially for someone else. Endeavoring Endeavoring, working at to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What are we looking for? We all want to still stay united. We all want to. So how does God bring about conformity? He doesn't. He brings about unity by you choosing to love, you choosing those things versus me telling you out of fear, you better do this thing or this is what's going to happen to you. That's conforming. And I get stripped of responsibility. The moment I conform, I'm no longer responsible. You see, if I socially distance and I do all those things and something happens to me, somebody else is at fault because I did all the rules. I did it. See, that's conforming. You've switched the responsibility. No, it, it's still on you. Every action you make, every decision you make, you're responsible for. Then it goes on. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So we all have the same body. We all have the same spirit. We all have the same hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of of all of us, and above all and through all and in you all. But it doesn't mean the application and your identity is not unique because there's one body, but how many parts are in a body? And we've talked about this years. I remember being in church talking about, well, some people are the thumb, some people are the nose, some people are the heart, some people are this, some people are that. And we like to preference which one they should be. But if the nose started making commands that everyone needs to look like a nose, you need to conform to the process of a nose. Well, I will tell you this. I don't want my nose that breathes to be like my feet. I don't want noses on my feet. I want nose on my face. So that's the conforming side versus the unifying of all these body parts, everything different, working together for one common idea, and they all have to be free to do that.
0: One of my favorite examples of unity looking different at different times and different situations, you see in the book of Acts, multiple times certain disciples were in prison. You see Paul in prison once, and most people are familiar with that story, where they're singing Uh, the chains fall off, the angel shows up, the jailer comes in, and they, they sit and they talk with the jailer. So they were in prison, they were freed by the angel, and they stayed and talked with the jailer and saved him. And then you see Peter in prison later, also delivered by an angel, and he leaves the prison and walks out. Two different responses to the same situation, because that's what was right for them in that time. And they were unified in the Spirit of God. And because they didn't think, okay, well, Paul did it this way, or, well, okay, Peter did it this way, so I better do it that way too. I mean, imagine if, I think Paul is the one it happened to first, but imagine if Peter would have said, well, okay, well, I remember Paul was in prison, and he sang and he stayed in jail, so that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to get the same result. It doesn't work that way. Yes, there are principles we can learn from what other people have gone through, but the principle was you're unified in the Spirit, and the Spirit actually wants to communicate with you on these things. So it's not as if you're left to sift through pages of a book to find an answer. I'm not saying you shouldn't read the Bible to look for answers, but I am saying that there's unity in the Spirit. When Jesus talks about us being one with God in John chapter 17, it's not some metaphor. It's not some some someday off in the distance thing. It means right now. So you are in unity, and with that, you can make decisions. You don't have to conform to things out of fear or out of being made low you can actually rise up in unity and see a much better result because of it. I think
1: it was one of our first podcasts. We were talking about uh, Balian in the, the movie kingdom of heaven. And there's a scene where Balian is brought before the king of Jerusalem and the king has them sit down and they're playing a game of chess. And the king says to Balian, a father may call a son and a king may move the pieces But one day when you stand before God, you and you alone are responsible for your soul. You can't say this man made me do this or this man sent me here, only you are accountable. And this isn't about a judgment before God. So don't don't get into the doom and gloom of that. I'm just saying, when you stand before God with your salvation, you can't say I went to this church, but this people didn't tell me the right things. These people didn't tell me the right things. I did this because of this. I thought it was right. I thought it was this. You have to stand and give an account of what you are. You have to stand and declare what you are because only you at that moment are accountable and responsible for your life. And so it becomes very important at the end if we're individually held accountable. And at the beginning, we're individually held accountable. Why somewhere in the middle does group ideology shape what we are? You know it's interesting when it came to like Persia and Greece. Greece had become a free state. They voted, they they elected their officials. Um again, I'm not trying to say that this was a perfect thing, but they had shifted away from the 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 a direct thought where people had no say. You just you just obeyed. Um, they were actually using discussion and learning how to debate and learning how to bring their ideas to the table and and having this discussion. And during uh, about, it was about five years before Esther came onto the scene, but Mordecai and Esther were living in Persia at the time when King Asherus came in and invaded uh, uh, invaded Greece, conquered it. That's where the story of the uh, King Leonidas and the Spartans 300 they held off the Persians with 300 men which gave enough time for everybody to get south and move the people but now Persia had finally broken through and they're pushing all the way down and they've they had conquered most of the Greek states and there's a couple islands that were left but each state was independent so it was one nation but they're all independent states and they didn't want to help the other states and they, this argument went on of well we don't have to help we you know we should do it this way And there's this guy by the name of Thermoscles that rose up in the middle of this. And he was the outcast. He was the guy nobody wanted. They didn't wanna hear from him. His country had already, his state had already been conquered. They had no state to go back to. So who is he to say? And he had lost a battle earlier. And he was talking about the tactic of, let's take them by sea. And they had these, the triune ships and they were skilled at them. And they knew the waters, they knew the land, they knew all of this, but they are outnumbered three to one from the Persian fleet. And so some of them recommended, let's just go build a wall and we'll just hold off as long as possible. Let's create a defensive position. Now, I want you to kind of catch this conversation because these were generally free people. like They, they believed they had the right to discuss and to debate. So a lot of times we don't like the unifying process because there's a lot of disagreement to process in that. Where in conformity, one person is just going to say, this is what we're going to do, and that's what's going to happen. Well, King Asherus was pretty powerful and arrogant that he actually had his a throne put on top of the mountain overlooking the sea battle so he could watch the victory of his great empire. And then you have this little Thermosocles guy that no one liked. He was disregarded, but he finally went around and he persuaded them in this idea. Now here's the difference in U- unity. You have to persuade, you have to get buy-in, you have to get uh, you have to educate, you have to bring them to an understanding, you can't force them into it. Well, he managed to do that and they united around them versus holding a defense pattern. They decide to throw everything at the enemy in a field that they've had a chance to win, and they end up defeating the Persians in the sea. And they ended up getting their land back and everything began pushing back and it pushed back because of this one man's independent decision. It turned the tide of Greece. It actually saved Greece was this one man persuading through discussion and argument and education and dealing and getting them to unify. But once they unified, this small group was greater power than the those that were coming down against them. Great story. After this, he went into obscurity. People didn't even regard him after that. But it was a powerful moment in history. And I think it's very interesting as an independent, as someone who could think for themselves and reason and take their skill set, his skill set, his thinking, and his dealing with rejection so much. He was unafraid when they rejected him. He learned how to discuss back, but he had no army to force him. He had none of that. He just had the skill, the wisdom, the know-how, and the fortitude to say, we can do this. Just like David. And it turned the tide of the war. It turned the, the Persian Empire back out of Greece. And I think it's in these moments where you start going, when does something become unified? It's harder to unify. You have to deal with people's ideas and discussions and and rustle through. But when it's done in love, even if we disagree,
0: we both want the same end goal. I was just listening to Bob Eager talk about this idea too. He was the former CEO of Disney, and he was the CEO responsible for the uh, the acquisition or merger of Disney, Marvel, Pixar, uh, 21st century, all those acquisitions happened while he was the CEO. And he talks about when he first came on, presenting some of his new ideas and new ways he wanted to take the company to the board, to his executive team. And there was pushback from a good amount of people on it. And he was very specific in saying that he had to convince them. He could have tried to come in and say, look, I'm the new CEO, we're gonna do things my way. And that would have just fallen on its face. But he took the time and the energy to convince them and show them his vision and what he wanted to bring about and that brought them on board so not only were they going along with it but they were supporting active members of that new vision the individual
1: was given the power to make a choice and be responsible for them so they can come together and freely offer themselves to those around them where we see the greatest generosity, the greatest humanity, the greatest service was never out of obligation or conformity, but out of choice of an individual wanting to. That is the most powerful force of freedom that you can see because they're no longer considering what they get, they're considering what they can give. And the moment you take away a person's opportunity to give, you have now suppressed them into servitude.
0: As we wrap it up here, I know that there are so many new decisions that we're all faced with every single day and it can be very difficult to navigate this stuff. But I just want to encourage you guys and I hope that you take the principles we've talked about here today and use them as a baseline for all these new decisions. Make a decision based out of unity, out of your identity, your strength. Be courageous because that's what you've been given. Don't don't fall to the pressure that comes from the world even though that's very difficult to do and it's easy to say at times. I know that firsthand. But I've also experienced that when I take a moment to step back, clear my head, go through who I am, who my father's made me to be, and try to approach a decision from an aspect of strength and unity, I end up coming out of it much better than when I just fold the pressure because that's what everyone else around me is doing. And again, we're not here to say that you should do the opposite of what everyone's doing because that's just foolishness as well. Just as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for things. There's a space for things.
1: You've been placed into a place of a space and time, whether by choice, whether by not choosing, but that's where you are. And as what the Father wants to do is reveal who you are, show his care for you, show his love for you, that you become free in him. Now, when you look outside the world, you could discern through a sense of love of when to stand, when to sit, when to flow, and you will begin knowing the timings of things. And I will say, don't even be pressured by even people that believe what you believe, saying, we gotta do something, everybody needs to do something right now. You could be pressured that way. It's okay to have that conversation and discuss and share your thoughts and to navigate through that, because. You need to make those decisions. And I think the greatest thing of this whole podcast is to bring you to the point, don't give up your identity for the sake of serving someone else out of obligation. We offer our identity to the world around us. I don't mind the spatial separation for a time. I don't mind going along with, with, with something that's in a state of emergency. I don't know all the facts, so I'm going to flow. I live in one country in Thailand. You live in the country in America. I have different guidelines. I'm going to flow within that for the harmony and peace of the community. But there could come a point where it crosses over who I am to such a degree. I I can't do anything but stand. And at that point, you'll have the courage and the boldness to make that stand. As Paul says, don't worry about what you're going to say if they take you before. But I don't want to be uh looked at and shunned because I'm unrighteous out of malice rebellion all of that stuff I would rather be looked at and shunned because I stood righteously in love towards other people but unmovable in an idea so we're going to we're going to wrap it up with that there's this is kind of a deep long heartfelt conversation but I know there's a lot of people that are just sitting out there in fear and they're worried, and they're wondering, and they're trying to gather around them all the securities to make sure they're safe. And there's nothing unwise about being aware of what you have, being aware of where you're at, being aware. That's a very wise thing to do. But I, I'm concerned with a persuasion coming in that, this, that a new norm takes place, that takes place, that gets rid of what you really are. And it happens in every level. It happens in church. It happens in the world. And it says, do not be conformed to this world's ways, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the change of thinking. My hope is you'll have a new thought, that you'll hear God's thoughts, that you would have a perspective of life that is completely different, that can wisely choose to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, and to be able to navigate through this in the identity and confidence that God created you to be. Because God has changed the world throughout history by one man making a choice, by one woman making a choice. It changed the course of history. So the individual is as important as the mass. This is where the grace of God is so powerful. The grace of God came and took you from what you were into his identity, into his Uh, relationship, for you to be lifted to a new position to see things differently. You transition by having a new thought. It's why the new birth was so important. There's a new hope, and the grace of God does that. And I love it that the grace of God doesn't use the tactics of the law that destroyed us. He uses the tactics of love and lifting and persuading our hearts and working in our hearts and through believing in us to begin lifting us up. And so it's critical that we understand that because if we're shaped by fear, we will use fear to interact with other people. But if you're shaped by love and belief and by Him seeing us what we really are and lifting us into the place that we are designed, we will begin treating others and acting like
0: that as well. And this might be something we have to save for another podcast, but Thinking through all these things when we're trying to step out in unity versus conformity. When there's something that you know you need to do that's on your heart and you might be ridiculed for it, you might be an outcast for doing it, and you're hoping that people just could see the way you see it. And if they could see what's on your heart, they would understand why you're doing something. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we giving other people that same thought? Because there's a lot of things happening in different churches, in the public sphere, in government, and we jump to a conclusion one way or the other, many times not having a lot of information, and I'm as guilty of that as anyone at times. But we need to step back and try to get a context to why people are making a decision and try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, if there's a conflict between a pastor and a government official, put yourself in the pastor's shoes and then put yourself in the government official's shoes to try to get an understanding of what's going on because maybe we don't have the context that they do to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And again, maybe that's something we can go to another time, but let's try to give other people the same kind of grace that we hope they would give us when we're doing things that are outside of the box too. So with that, we appreciate you guys. We love you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. And as always, you can get us on social media. If you've got some questions or comments, we love interacting with you guys there. Until then, keep a clear head and we'll see you later.